Good afternoon, everybody. Good to see you guys. Um, good to see some old faces too. Um, just visiting our church today. But I hope you are having a good uh, Memorial Day weekend so far. I think um, those, are, those of you who are working get to have some off day, Monday, so hope you can enjoy that. Um, Deb and I and Seth got back from our East Coast trip on Friday, and I'm a little still tired, but I noticed that, uh, yeah, Minnesota is really cold <laughs> compared to East Coast. It was like 90s there, you know, like I was having, wearing all these like cut off shirts and stuff. Don't imagine that, but uh, yeah, I was enjoying the weather there, but uh, yeah, got back here, uh, a little cold, but still good to be back home and to be with you guys and worship together. So uh, good to see you all. Uh, let me, Read for us today's passage, uh, which is Psalm 46. Again, Psalm 46. I'll read it for us and I'll pray and we'll go into the sermon together. Psalm 46. To the choir master of the sons of Korah, according to Elmeth, a song. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, Selah. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when the morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear, and he burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I'm God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come before you in so much need for your voice to move our hearts, to comfort our hearts, to guide our hearts. God, you are the God of this church. You know exactly what we need. So Lord, help us to come before you being attentive, longing to be fed by your word right at this time. 
we know that you love us, you love this church, and you are here with us. So, Lord, may you uh, peel the skins of our hearts and help us to receive your word and be transformed and be uh, empowered to live for your kingdom in this church. Use me, Lord. I'm just a jar of clay delivering your word. Help me be uh, ever clear and communicate what you want to say to your church today. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, last Sunday we had some uh, big announcement. If you are there, uh, Pastor John will be taking a sabbatical for some time. And, uh, and I was, as I was traveling with, with my families, uh, I was praying for our church this past week and uh, this, this passage uh, found in Psalm 46 uh, laid on my heart and I felt and I believe that it's the word that God has for our church today. So we'll study the passage together and, uh, and I really hope that this can be an encouragement as we you know, enter into rather unexpected season of our church. Um, may we be encouraged and empowered by this passage. And at the end, uh, I'll try to apply the passage more specifically to our situation uh, and also talk a little bit about the way forward for our church. Uh, as usual, I have three points for this sermon. Uh, first, the very present God. And second, the committed God. And third, the exalted God. First, the very present God. Verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. So right off the bat, the psalmist, the author of this psalm, uh, makes a statement about God, who God is, that He is our refuge, meaning He provides physical protection from external harms, as well as emotional and spiritual rest uh, from distress caused by those harms. Another word for refuge might be shelter, in which you know we could just let out a sigh of relief, saying. Ha, huh. you know, in the midst of trouble. That's what the refuge means. And then he also says that God is also strength, that he provides strength so that we are able to deal with those harms and distresses, not, you know, hiding from reality. And lastly, it says God is a very present help in trouble, meaning that, you know, God as our refuge and strength his protection and empowerment are always present, are always there with us, being accessible and uh, available to us 24-7. And again, that's what the author is declaring about God. And what he's saying is, therefore, that God is not a God who is indifferent You know, when we go through hard times but He is always present, especially during hard times. And He's 
utterly ready and willing to help, uh, to, to protect us and strengthen us. That's, that's what he's saying about God. He is ready to help. I don't know about you, but uh, I'm not very good at asking others for help. It could be my pride. I, I like to figure things out on my own instead of you know, bothering others. Uh, and I think I found that that attitude uh, can cause me some you know, unnecessary time and stress. So for example, so at this point in my life, I'm proud to tell you that I've mastered Costco. Meaning, I've been there so many times to get stuff from my family every week, so I know which aisle has which item and which season has what kind of sale, you know, on and on. I, I got it. But when it comes to Menards and Home Depot, it's a different story. I think it's probably because the items there are a lot smaller and like, you know, like nuts and bolts, things like that. So it's like you have to spend more time, you know, trying to discern what you're looking for, things like that. So this one time, I was looking for the uh, engine oil for my lawnmower at Menards, but I couldn't find the exact model the, the manual instructed for me to get from the store. Um, so I, I just shuffled through every aisle, like every container, everything. I couldn't find it. I spent a good amount of time there. And when I felt helpless and miserable, it dawned on me. Wait, there are workers around me that are just waiting you know, for me to ask for help. So I asked one of them, and literally took me like three minutes for him to get what I was looking for for probably, I don't know, at least 15 minutes. You see, if Menard's workers are ready to help to find what you want, and they're present near you, God, the passage is saying, his omnipresent and his even more closer to you than them, and he's so ready to help especially in times of trouble. He's not aloof. He's not distant. He's right there for us in our needs. So we may do well to turn him to him right away. Another question might be, what kind of trouble are we talking about? What kind of trouble do we need God's help for? So the psalmist moves on to identify them for us. Uh, verses 23 he says, therefore, we will not fear though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. So here, just imagine with me, he is drawing a picture, painting a picture for us with words. See here, he's saying, again, picture in your head, the earth giving way, meaning falling apart for some reason, and mountains crumbling into the, the heart of the deep ocean, and the waters of the sea, you know, are just wildly raging with waves, and the mountains are quaking at their core. You see, this picture is showing us an example of an absolute chaos 
that the order of the nature is disrupted. And before such catastrophe, human beings like us are helpless. We cannot control these things. And I think here the psalmist is using this example of nature uh, to point us to other chaotic circumstances in our lives. Like, for example, think back to last year when the pandemic had just hit. You know, people were, people were getting sick and dying all around the world, everywhere. And, and there was really not much that we knew about the, the, the virus, so we just had to stay at home, wipe everything down in fear of the virus. The hospitals, remember, they're running out of ventilators and space. And, and they also, in some states like New York, they install temporary morgues, right? Because people are dying so fast, so many people. And also, economically, people lost their jobs and livelihood. We went through absolute chaos. We couldn't do anything. You know, but to feel the fear and anxiety. So that's more of a, I guess, global level, but also personal level. We have those chaos too, right? I mean, perhaps for some of us, you know, we ourselves or your family members have diagnosis from hospitals saying, you know, that we have health problems. Or for some of us, you know, work and school can be overwhelming and you lost passion and motivation. That's not a good place to be. And you don't know what to do about that. And lastly, some of us might have some relational struggles that keep you up at night and just cause lots of pain in your heart. And lastly, as a church, you know, since last Sunday, um, you know, we are entering into an uncertain season. That's where we are. So you see, the psalmist is saying that when our world spins out of control, like mountains quaking and crumbling into the sea, when we feel helpless, that's exactly when God is telling us to turn to Him because He's right there. He's so ready to help us. Our job right then, what God wants us to do is turn to Him in prayer, in desperation, trusting in His restoration. God, is very present in trouble. So the very present God. Second, the committed God. Verse 4, it says, There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. There, the city of God refers to Zion or Jerusalem, you know, where God was said to reside uh, during the Old Testament times, particularly through the temple there. But fast forward in the New Testament times, and now, right now, the, the scripture says, God dwells where? In the church. Not, not in the building, but people uh, through the Holy Spirit. And then, in the end, at the end of the history, uh, the scripture says, the new heaven and new earth will be the city of God, where God and the redeemed humanity will live together. So here, the psalmist is talking about God's presence with his people. So he goes on. Please follow with me. Verse 5 and 6. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her 
when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. That as the resident and owner of the city of God, God will make sure that his people in the city stay safe from harms, such as the attacks from their enemies, nations, and kingdoms. And then lastly, he ends his stanza this way. Verse 7, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. There, the all-kept word Lord, L-O-R-D, refers to Yahweh, which is God's covenant, covenant name given to the people of Israel. It's showing that he's using the word because he wants to show that God has a special, committed relationship with Israel. And then also, there's a title there, the Lord of Hosts, that describes God as a warrior king who leads the hosts of armies of angels. So that, that word choice shows God's heavenly power. So now let's, all, let's put all this together. So what he's saying in this He's saying in the stanza of the psalm is that God has a special committed care for his city and his people. So he stays within them and by his cosmic power, he protects his people without fail. In other words, God takes care of his people. God sustains his people. You know, before Apostle Paul in New Testament became Christian, uh, you know, he was a very cruel persecutor of the church. And, and Jesus met Paul on the road to Damascus while he was going there to persecute more Christians. You know, Jesus said this. He said, Saul, which is another name for Paul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And that's a very curious question, isn't it? Because Paul was going there to persecute the church, the Christians. But Jesus is considering his blood-bought church to be his own body. So he says, you're persecuting me when you persecute my people. So he has special care for his church. And throughout church history, God's special committed care for his church is very evident. Uh, one church father named Tertullian said, the blood of martyrs is the seed of the church. Meaning, he was just describing the, the he, he was a person in the fourth century, he was describing, you know, with the sentence, there's so many persecutions. People are Christians are dying every day for their faith. But what happened is that even though Satan used the persecutions to destroy the church, but what happened? Not only the church survived the persecutions, but it thrived. It multiplied. It exponentially grew in number. And now it is one of the biggest religions in the world. And for us in CLC, the fact that we are worshiping here right now as a church, we call ourselves a church, that is a testament to God's 
2,000 year long care for his church. And so speaking with psalmist in verse 5, we can say, the church of God shall not be moved. Why? Because God is in the midst of her. God takes ownership of his church. He takes care of his body. And I want you to hold on to that thought, that truth, because what that means is God takes care of CLC. Our job is to trust him as his church. He will preserve it. So the committed God. And lastly, the exalted God. Verse 8. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. And now switching a gear a little bit, the psalmist is inviting us to consider what God will do on the judgment day. And verse 9. He makes war cease to the end, of the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear and he burns the chariots with fire. Meaning on, on that judgment day, God will defeat all his enemies and destroy all their weapons held against his people, his church. So there, the, the enemies will no longer be able to threaten God's people and there will be absolute peace, no more chaos for his people. And now, with this picture in view, God speaks to those who are still fighting him in the present. That's verse 10. He says, Be still and know that I'm God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. I think the word be still right away, people, a lot of people think that that, that means, you know, be peaceful, like as if that's like a magic word. But no, the, the words be still in Hebrew actually means let go. Again, the, the main audience here is the, those who are still rebellious against God's rule. And, and the, the psalmist is saying, let go of your rebellious heart. Meaning, still your, you know, um, unsubmitted, unsubmissive heart towards God, but surrender and acknowledge God to be the God who will be exalted in the end. Don't resist his rule. It's not worth it to fight his rule. That's what he's saying. But I think also this verse can be applied to the people of God uh, because God's people also, in their sinful nature, uh, resist submitting to God and, and His promises. So the verse could be saying to the people of God, still your doubtful, self-reliant heart. Completely surrender yourself to the sovereignty and goodness of God. Trust His promises. Do not hold back. Surrender yourself and don't trust anything else, but trust Him as your refuge. Again, that's what it means by be still and know who God is. Give Him all your faith and allegiance. And I think that's why Psalmist ends the psalm uh, by saying, verse 11, uh, 
Again, the, the Lord of hosts, he's repeating the same line from verse 7. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Meaning, hey guys, talk to yourself like this. Heart, listen, be still, you divided heart. Be still and remember that he is the Lord of hosts. He is a powerful God. And he is committed to protect me. He's committed to give me refuge. Choose him, nothing else. Surrender. There's an interesting story uh, about a Japanese soldier. I don't know if you're aware of this story. Um, it, it was during World War II. Uh, he, he, his name is uh, Hiro Onoda. And he was fighting the war for Japan uh, during the war, uh, World War II in the Philippines when, when Japan finally surrendered uh, to the Allied forces. But apparently the communication was cut off. So this guy, Onoda, never officially heard from uh, his base that the nation, his nation, surrendered. So guess what? He stayed in a jungle in the Philippines for the next 29 years, thinking that he was still fighting the war. And it was only uh, in 1974, his former commanding officer flew there in person to let him know that Japan had lost and, and that you know, he has no longer to fight for Japan. Only then, Onoda surrendered and he came back to Japan and I think also Brazil to live a normal life uh, after that. And that's crazy if you think about it. 29 years fighting a needless fight because he wouldn't believe that, um, that his army had lost. Likewise, you know, God in Christ won the decisive battle on the cross and he will sooner or later end the war in victory. That's decided. And whoever is not surrendering entirely to this rule of God is really fighting a needless battle, just like the Japanese soldier. So God is saying, don't do that. Submit to me. And that's all I see in this passage and to, to me and, and to our church. I think this is a powerful reminder. And I want to encourage all of us in our church to completely surrender to our God during this time as our refuge. Really reminding ourselves that there's no one else, nothing else that we can trust. Only God is our refuge for CLC. You know, I myself didn't expect our church to be here uh, where we are right now. If you told me, you know, two weeks ago that um, we would be entering summer without Pastor John, I would not have believed you. Uh, but that's where we are right now. We're in a, you know, uncharted territory, so to speak. And, and during this confusing time, I think our inclination or my inclination could be, you know, five, uh, find a solution and plan and move on. I think that's how a lot of people function. But that's not what I see in this passage. 
What I see is when the circumstance is challenging or even chaotic, our job, first and foremost, is turn to God, trusting that He is right here, right now, holding out, holding out His hands towards us to grab onto Him. He's very present, and He's committed to our well-being as a church. So let's turn to God during this time. I'm not just saying that as a platitude. We really need to desperately turn to God. Nothing else, nobody else. But all in all, again, remembering what the Word of God says, let us, I plead with you, let us seek the Lord together as our refuge and strength in times of trouble. Let's pray. I just want to invite us um, as we uh, process the Word of God that we just heard. Uh, I think one good way to uh, personalize uh, this psalm is just really imagining. I think the word imagine does not mean you imagine, you know, uh, non-real things, but imagining something that you cannot see, which is um, God being present, very present with you right now. That He is sitting next to you. In fact, He is living in you if you are in Christ. He is so ready to help and that He is committed to His people. And that in the end, there will be peace. That's His promise. So could we do that? Just have a holy imagination right now so that the words that we heard will not remain as words, but spiritual food that feed our soul right now. Let's pray. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, uh, God, uh, you are a very present help in trouble. All our hope is in you. Uh, that has always been true, but uh, when the disorienting things happen, such as what we're going through right now as a church, it really pushes us to acknowledge that truth of yours. So Lord, help us to rely on you, help us to get to know you more so that our faith may grow more during this time. That you are the pillar, you are the rock, you are the hiding place, you are the bulwark of truth. God, help us to trust you over all the other things that may creep into our minds during this time. But thank you for that solid promise that you made for us, that, um, that you take care of your church, that you will sustain the church, and in the end, you'll be victorious. And we will also be victorious along with you because of you, by your mercy. So help us persevere 
and help us to love one another during this time. Help us to care for each other as we pursue hard after you as a church. Thank you, God.